Hi, Rose. It's so good to see you. My name is Danny. I'm a pastor here. Glad to worship with you tonight. I've always wondered who loves Jesus more than basketball, and now I see it. It's you. And if you had no idea there's a basketball game tonight, don't check your phone. It's fine. We'll, we'll deal with it later together. Before we get started in tonight's talk, I would like you to ponder this question together. It goes like this. Where do you go for wisdom? Go ahead and share that with a couple of people around you. Where do you go for wisdom? Go for it. Here I am. Take the sandals from your feet. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. What do you want with me? I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their cry. seeing that movie called Prince of Egypt when I was six years old in the movie theaters, and now I'm 56 years old, and so it just brings me back. It makes me feel like I'm young again. Anybody here see that movie when they were a kid, Prince of Egypt? Oh, it just made me feel really nice. Uh, it's a movie that depicts what's happening in this new series that we're opening up tonight. It's called Which Way to the Promised Land? We're going to be exploring the book of Exodus over the next several weeks. We're going to take two pit stops in the middle of this series. The first one is next week. You heard about it in announcements because we've got an Ash Wednesday service. So next week we'll take a pause and then we'll go for a few more weeks and then we'll take another little pause for Easter week and then we'll finish out the series after that. Turn to the person next to you and say, strap in, partner. We're ready to go. Uh, you'll hopefully see throughout this series why this is called Which Way to the Promised Land, but let me just give you a little bit of an introduction to the book of Exodus. The purpose of the book of Exodus, this is the second book of the Bible. You can open your Bible and read Genesis, and then you'd go to the next book. It's called Exodus. Everybody say Exodus. Exodus. 
Exodus literally means exit. The purpose is to record the events of Israel's deliverance. Israel was God's people. It's this nation of God's people from Egypt in development as a nation. I know already you're like riveting. Yes, like I can't wait. Uh, Here's a key verse from the book of Exodus. God says to Moses, and you heard it in in that clip, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Now go. If I could phrase, if I could summarize the entirety of the book of of Exodus into one sentence, it would be this. Exodus is about a God who saves stuck people. It makes me think about Winnie the Pooh, who oftentimes finds himself stuck because he ate a little bit too much honey, and he finds himself stuck in the cutest little ways in uh, his friend Rabbit's entrance into his little burrow. Do you ever feel stuck? What do you do when you feel stuck? When we start the book of Exodus, God's people are stuck in slavery. In the book of Genesis, you see the origins of humanity and how there's some brokenness and there's highs and there's lows and people have a hard time listening to God. And then in the book of Exodus, we open it up and God's people, it's grown into this really big nation, but they're all hurting, they're all suffering. They live in slavery in a place called Egypt and they're living under a guy named Pharaoh who's absolutely wicked and terrible and he's doing these awful things. He's trying to kill off the entire nation of Israel. God doesn't like that for his people. He sees that they're stuck. There's nothing that they can do to free themselves. And so Exodus is about how God saves stuck people. And I think that that's really relatable. I know that we can't necessarily find ourselves in a situation quite as dramatic as Israel found themselves in Egypt, but do you know what it's like to be stuck? And what do you do when you feel stuck? I think that this is a really hard question to answer because if you follow every single rule in the Bible to a T and you're perfect about it, you've got all the yeses and all the nos about life, you're good to go for about 20% of life. But what about the rest of life that's not necessarily black and white? Like there are certain things where it's easy, yes or no. Should I wash my hands before I eat? Yes. Yes. Should I wear a seatbelt? Should I text and drive? No. Should I post that selfie? Always. Yes. There are certain things where it's easy to answer that, right? And then there's the moralistic things, right? Like, should I lie? No. Should I gossip? No. Should I love people? Yes. But what about when the world gets a little bit more gray? Like there's a lot of life where it's not just a yes or no black and white answer. Sometimes it it takes something a little deeper than that. I mean, think about when you were choosing your major. If you're someone who has no interest whatsoever in medicine or science, you probably shouldn't be studying pre-med. And some of you found that out the hard way your first semester, right? Now, there's nothing like morally wrong about saying, I want to go to med school, even if you have no interest in it. But it's kind of hard to discern that sometimes. And how do you find out? How do you know ahead of time? I think that it's in these areas of life where the answers aren't so easy and we feel stuck, it requires wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. Wisdom Wisdom is a big theme throughout the Bible and God wants us to have his wisdom. One of the easiest ways I think I can sum up wisdom is like this. Wisdom is competency. Everybody say competency. Competency Competency is essentially your abilities, your capabilities, your, your ability to survive, if you will. Wisdom is competency in everyday life like how life really works. When you realize that life is not all about yeses and nos, 
Life can sometimes be more challenging and nuanced and foggy, quite frankly, when you're trying to make decisions. So what do you do when you're stuck and you're seeking out that wisdom? In the Bible, there's a book that is all about wisdom. And I'm gonna get back into Exodus in just a second, but I think this helps us set the table for stuck people. There's a book in the Bible, and it's all about wisdom. It has all these little nuggets of wisdom. It's called Proverbs. This is a really famous proverb. This is in Proverbs chapter three. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek God's will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Isn't that interesting? And especially in the ancient Hebrew, it insinuates this path is a slow moving walking path. We go slow. If you feel stuck, the first thing we sometimes need to do is stop. You're like, I'm already stuck. Why would I stop? Turn to the person next to you and say, stop it. <laughs> because sometimes we're stuck because we're moving so quickly. We're moving so fast. We're leaning on our own understanding. And it's hard to see the real world for what it is if you are just sprinting through it. This makes so much sense. Think about the fastest people in the world, right? My friend Rory over here, I went on a run with him just the other day. He can run a half marathon in under an hour and 20 minutes. He can run a half marathon averaging six minutes per mile. How crazy is that, right? He's very, very fast. Everybody say, go Rory. Go Rory. <laughs> Sorry, man, I just had to embarrass you. But even the slowest runner can go farther at a very slow walking or rolling pace than a guy like Rory or even Usain Bolt could sprint. When we walk, we actually get a lot farther than even the best distance runners. And so it is with life. There are some people who are like, they're just so efficient. They're just so quick-witted. They just know how to move. They just make fast decisions. They may not be experiencing the real world. So boo, Rory. Slow down. I'm kidding. That's terrible. I didn't, I didn't ask for permission on that, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We need to stop. And when we stop and when we slow down, all of a sudden we can start to get back to basics and see things for how they really are. Sometimes we feel discouraged and we need to see things for how they really are. Speaking of that in the book of Psalms, which is another book that's full of wisdom, right? It's this beautiful poetic book that tells us how we can know God and experiences uh, God's love in all sorts of different places uh, and, and, uh, and feelings throughout life. In Psalm chapter 42, it says, now I'm deeply discouraged. Sometimes we feel stuck in discouragement. Maybe you feel stuck in anxiety. Maybe you feel stuck in depression. Maybe you just feel stuck in a funk. You're like, why is my soul so discouraged? And then it says, but I'll remember you. And it's talking about God. When you're feeling stuck, we stop and we remember. And what do we remember? We remember God. So when you're feeling stuck, you can stop and you can remember. You can get back to basics. One more time, turn, turn to a person next to you and say, get back to basics, friend. Get back to basics, friend. There was a man named Moses who needed to get back to basics. Moses is one of the most famous characters in the entire Bible and we meet him in the book of Exodus. In the uh, reading tonight, you heard about him, Exodus chapter three, verse one, it says, Moses was tending flock. 
Just one day, Moses is out there. He's a shepherd. He's tending flock. Moses wasn't always a shepherd. If you've seen the prince of Egypt, miracles are possible when you believe. Anybody? Okay. All right. Uh, That's my tryout for anybody who wants to get me in the band. But uh, Moses wasn't always a shepherd. Moses was born a Hebrew baby, which means he was a part of the Israel nation, God's people. But do you remember that wicked man named Pharaoh? Pharaoh wanted to kill off the entire nation of Israel. And so he sent out a decree across his land where he would kill any baby boy that was born into the Israel nation. Moses' mother thought ahead and she saved him by putting him in this basket and sending him down the Nile River and Pharaoh's daughter found him. So Moses is kind of living his life in the margins. He's born in a Hebrew family, but he's not really a Hebrew because he's adopted into an Egyptian family, but he's not really one of them. Moses grows up and he realizes who he is. He realizes that he's not like the other Egyptians around him. And one day he sees an Egyptian beating some Hebrew people, some people that he might be related to, people, where he, people who shared the same family as him. And so he looks around, he sees that nobody's gonna notice and it's actually really violent. It's really jarring. Moses kills this Egyptian who had been beating and hurting people who were like him. Pharaoh finds out, Pharaoh wants to kill Moses. And so now Moses is on the run for his life. And that's that's where Moses is. When we read this story in Exodus chapter three, Moses is a former Hebrew, former Egyptian, former refugee, and now just a forgotten guy. He is a forgotten old man living out in the wilderness. When we think of Moses, we think, oh, wow, this great prophet of the Old Testament who led God's people out of Egypt and it was this beautiful, wonderful, powerful story. What a guy, Moses. But when we pick up on Moses in the book of Exodus, we are reading about a forgotten has-been. He's just out roaming, just minding his own business. And he notices this burning bush. This burning bush is a really like an important symbol in the Bible. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more to what that means later on in this message. But I want you to see what's happening in this story. It's beautiful storytelling that's taking place. It's different storytelling than the kind of storytelling that we have these days. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's quick. It doesn't always point out the details we want it to, but it points out the details that you need to know in order to understand what's happening in the story and the significance. So again, strap in. Ready? Moses was tending the flock, and then he walks by and he sees a burning bush, but something is strange about this bush. The bush isn't burning up. There's a fire in the bush, but the bush isn't burning up, and that's odd to him. Now, here's where it gets really weird. As Moses is approaching the burning bush, the bush starts to speak. Moses, Moses, the bush says. It's so interesting Moses is being called out to in a very peculiar time in his life, isn't he? If there was ever a time for Moses to be called out, it would have been when his life was going well, living in Pharaoh's palace, right? I mean, my goodness, it would have been when he was on top of the financial world. He was a social role model for the rest of society. People could look up to this guy. But it's when he's a has-been that God speaks through this divine object, this burning bush that he appears in. And he says, Moses, Moses, why did God show up then? To me, that makes Moses all of a sudden a very relatable character. There are a lot of times in my life where I feel like things have passed me by, where I feel like I missed out, where I'm wondering, am I too late? You are never too late when it comes to God 
Because when we're feeling stuck and we stop and we remember, here's something you can remember about God. God is on time. There's this old Christian song that says, he's never early, he's never late. Again, trying out for the band. Please, someone just affirm me up here. (laughs) He's on time. Like, it is so odd. God calls the most random people, it seems. Now, God calls Moses to something absolutely wild when it feels like Moses' life has already passed him by. And what does God call Moses to? Well, he gives him this instruction. He says, look, in Exodus chapter three, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I know that they're stuck. I know that they can't help themselves. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Remember, we've talked about that. Now go, Moses, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. The has-been old man? The Bible tells us that Moses is 80 years old. He's older than a lot of your grandparents. How crazy is this? I mean, can you imagine frail old Moses walking up to the burning bush? Yes. I mean, let your mind go there. Moses was so unexpected. But here's something that's really important to remember when you stopped and you're thinking about who is God that saves stuck people? God trusts you. If God would trust a guy like Moses, I mean a screw up, right? He had everything going right in his life and he just blew it away because he lost his temper. And now he's just waiting for his life to pass by before he can die. God trusted someone like that to do something remarkable in the book of Exodus. What makes you think God wouldn't trust you? God trusts you. And here's the great thing. It's not because he has to. This is gonna be kind of weird, but turn to a person next to you again and say, God doesn't need you. Isn't that weird? Now turn to that person again and say, but God wants you. What's better? To be needed or to be wanted? I can't tell you how many times on the playground a team needed me because I was the last one to be selected. But ooh, baby, when I hit my growth spurt and I was like, not the first, not the second, not the third, but maybe like sixth or seventh pick, oh yeah, I was wanted. (laughs) It's better to be wanted. And God wants you. And I know that it's sometimes the greatest wrestling match of our life to start looking at ourselves in the mirror and see the flaws Because who knows that when we walk up to a mirror, we're not walking up to a mirror to say, ooh, you look good. We're walking up to a mirror to make sure the things that we fixed earlier still look okay, right? And Moses is having this inner battle, but he's having this dialogue with God at the same time. So he responds to God, who am I? And that's a good question, isn't it? I mean, like it's this big, deep identity question. Maybe some of you came to college at Iowa State, I'm gonna choose my adventure or in Iowa City, I'm gonna follow Herky or whatever you guys do over there. I don't really know. You know, like we, like here's my life. I'm gonna find out who I am. And then you find out who you are and you're like, oh, (laughs) okay. I remember being a kid and thinking, you know, in college, I'm gonna be able to grow a beard. I haven't shaved in five days. Can you tell? This is who I am. I can't even cover my face if I want to, but I don't. Love you, Abby. You like this? Anyway, sorry. (laughs) I didn't know where to go with that, so I just decided to pivot. Anyway, so when some of you walk in with beards, I'm just so 
darn jealous. Moses is like, who am I? Moses maybe could have grown a cool beard. And it's a good question, but what's he doing? He's wallowing in his insecurity. And now a lot of us, we confuse humility with security. We're like, you know, I'm just being humble by thinking so lowly of myself. When the reality is, is we're sinking in insecurity. Here's the difference between insecurity and humility. Insecurity is thinking less of myself. Humility is thinking of myself less. Insecurity is thinking I'm pathetic and I don't belong. There is nothing in the Bible that tells you that you should think you're worthless. There's nothing in the Bible. There's nothing that God communicates to make you think that you're a loser, that you don't belong. When God created this world, he said the very best thing, the very good thing was humanity. God put himself in you. God made you in his image. There is an undeniable, objective, indisputable, indisputable significance about you. It is that God's image is in you. You are beautiful. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. And because you have that security, you don't have to keep going back to the, the, the mirror. When everybody else goes back to the mirror, they're like, what's wrong? You can say, you know what? I know I'm good. I don't care that I got spinach in my teeth. I'm wonderfully and fearfully made. When we don't have to pay attention to ourselves, it's not because we think we're amazing. It's because we believe that we're safe. It's because we believe that we belong. I know that this isn't true for everybody, but maybe sometimes you check the mirror the least amount if you have a family that loves you and cares for you and welcomes you. And then you're just sitting at home on the couch and you realize, I haven't showered in four days. It's Christmas break. Why would I? My family loves me no matter what. You're not really thinking about yourself very much, are you? Insecurity is thinking less of myself. I'm a loser. I don't belong. I'm pathetic. God doesn't want that out of you. And how ironic is it? Like we're telling ourselves, I'm, in, I'm, uh, I'm not valuable. I'm insignificant. And meanwhile, in order to believe that, I'm listening to my own voice. The voice that I said was not valuable and insignificant. Do we realize how much sense, like, or how little sense that makes? But then there's God, creator of the universe, who says, I want you to feel safe with me. I don't want you to go to the mirror, not because I don't want you to be impressed by, by yourself. I want you to experience this life and look less at yourself because I'm already giving you the security to say, don't worry, you're beautiful, you're wonderful. I made you. I love you. Maybe when you look in the mirror, you see all sorts of imperfections, but don't you know this? When God calls somebody in the same way that he called Moses, he does not call the perfect, he calls a person. You're not perfect, but you are a person and you are infinitely and eternally loved by God who fearfully and wonderfully made you. See, here's this really interesting thing that God does when Moses says, well, who am I to do this? Moses wants to hear about himself, but God responds by talking about himself. Moses says, who am I? And immediately God responds with, I'll be with you. And what if Moses is like, okay, that's great, but it's not what I asked, but it's what Moses needs. See, when we stop and we remember we remember that God is always here, wherever here is. And where is here for you? Not just physically, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally right now. Like, where are you? What kind of headspace are you living in? Do you know that God is there? And maybe you're telling yourself, you know what, maybe I'll catch up with God or we'll be close or, you know, maybe we'll get intimate with one another. Once I start to get my life figured out, once I start to feel like a holy person, what was special about this place that Moses was walking on? 
There's nothing special about this place. In the Hebrew, the name for this place was Wasteland. Isn't that crazy? This place where Moses is walking is actually literally named Wasteland. There's nothing special about it, but it becomes holy because of who is there. God is there. Moses would have taken his flock as a shepherd in this field, in this pasture, wherever it is, all the time. And I wonder, is it possible that Moses walked by this bush thousands of times before? And I wonder, did God ever try to get Moses' attention before? But Moses was going too quick. He wasn't stopping. He wasn't remembering. It wasn't a holy place. Don't you realize you bear the image of God? That means God is committed to be with you wherever you go. That means wherever you go, God is present. And wherever God is present, it is a holy space. Wherever you find yourself, you don't have to wait for things to get fixed for God to do something good through you. You may think that nothing good is happening through you. You may be telling yourself, the only things I put out into this world are bad. It's mistakes. And God will have none of that. God, the holy God, who is always here, lives in you, produces good through you, and can do it right where you are right now. Because it doesn't depend on you. Remember, Moses is having this conversation with a burning bush, and that seems like an odd object for God to speak through. Why would God set this burning, why would God set this bush on fire, right? It's, it's strange, but Moses says, okay, well, if I'm gonna really do this, who should I say sent me? Because this is kind of intimidating. It's weird. I mean, if I'm showing up back into Egypt, they don't like me there. Don't you remember the reason why I left? Who should I say sent me? And here's the first time that God shares his real name in the Bible. You ready for it? I am who I am. I am who I am. That doesn't sound like a name. It doesn't even sound like very good English. It's not. The Hebrew word for this is Yahweh. Would you say that? Yahweh. Yahweh. It's this beautiful sound that's supposed to symbolize breathing. Yahweh. He's always here. By simply breathing, you're declaring his praise. He lives in you. He lives through you. He's producing good in this world, not because of you, but because of him. I am who I am. What does that mean? Well, look at the burning bush. Remember, Moses was caught off guard that the bush was on fire, but it wasn't um, being obliterated, right? Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't burning up. Why? Anything that a fire uh, is burning, it, it uses that thing as fuel, Right? And so if you have a bonfire, eventually you're gonna to have to put new logs in it. Why? Because the fire needs more fuel. This bush is on fire, but the bush is not burning up. Why? Because this fire in which God is present doesn't need fuel. This fire that is God's presence is self-sustaining. When he says, I am who I am, what is he saying? I simply always am. There has never been a time where someone could say, I will be. There will never be a time where someone could say, I was. I simply always am. He is self-sustaining. He doesn't need anyone or anything. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. So when we stop and we remember what it is that God wants to give us in wisdom, we can remember that God is able, God is capable. The world doesn't depend on you. 
Are you feeling stuck? Remember this, God is able. He's able. I'm gonna have you do it again. I'm just having a lot of fun having you talk to each other tonight. Turn to the person next to you and say, you can't save the world. It's a good thing to realize that. God is saving the world. God is self-sufficient. He is being itself. He just am. And I know it doesn't make a lot of sense in the English, but it's the only way to make sense of our incredible God who was not created. I mean, sometimes because of the fairy tales we read, we believe in forever, right? Because of happily ever after. But God didn't even have a beginning. Like, if you really want to mess up your brain for five minutes, think about never having a beginning. That's your God. Isn't that wild? God says, I am who I am has sent you. It means he's able. And so Moses, who's seeing himself in the mirror and he recognizes his flaws and his issues and he feels stuck because of who he is, God reminds him, I'm the one who's gonna do it. Lutheran Church of Hope, which is what Kairos is a part of, is a part of the ELCA. I said this in my sermon on Sunday. The uh, slogan, if you will, of the ELCA is God's work, our hands. God trusts you to put his work in your hands, but believe it, it is his work. It's not yours. It doesn't depend on you. You're invited to the party and you just get to show up for yourself. And you get to invite others. It's God's work. Moses, one of his issues, he's like, I can't speak very well. I have a speech impediment. I always stutter over things. Now, believe it or not, I have the slightest speech impediment in the world. I talk on the like, left side of my mouth and I used to feel kind of insecure about that. I say my name funny, ready? Danny Householder. You didn't hear it, did you? But in my mind, it's a big thing, right? And I like can't get over that hurdle. So when somebody says, what's your name? I'm like, Danny Householder. And it just bothers me, right? So maybe I feel like I can relate to Moses on this, but God says, it's not your words. God responds to Moses and he puts it this way. Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what you say. Turn to the person next to you and say, God's with you. There has never been a moment of your life where you've actually been alone. Think about that moment in your life when it really hurt because you felt alone. You just felt isolated. There was a God there who wouldn't let you out of his sights. Sometimes the reason why we feel so alone is because we're going so fast, just trying to find the next crowd because this other one rejected me. They abandoned me. They left me behind. And God told Moses, I promise you I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to call you to places where sometimes you feel alone. Iowa State students, you might be called to Iowa City. Iowa students, you might be called to Ames. And it's going to be scary. But even there, God would be with you. He can't leave you. In the Bible, we learn this about God's word. He doesn't go back on it. When he makes a promise, he lives into it forever. He made you with a word. That means you're not going anywhere. He promised he would be with you. That means he cannot and will not abandon that. Not because he needs you, but because he wants you. Listen, when God calls you into something, and you're like, I don't know if I can do it. I feel pretty stuck. You're gonna be walking into places that sometimes make you feel tired. 
make you feel worn out. And maybe you'll even wish, I wish I could go back to the days when I was stuck, when I wasn't moving, when I wasn't doing anything. In 1 Peter, it kind of talks about feeling burnt out when we're going through trials and we're realizing I'm insufficient for this. I cannot do it on my own. Trials will show that your faith is genuine. Trials can be a good thing. They're not a fun thing, but God can use them for a good thing. See, your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. Every day you wake up and go into this world with something that is more valuable than gold itself. Your faith. Your faith in the one who loves you, who promises to go with you, the one who is able, the one who remembers you, the one who refuses to let you go into spaces alone the one who calls you fearfully and wonderfully made, no matter how unholy you feel. He goes with you and he calls you more precious than gold. Because I get it, there are going to be days when we feel like we're walking through the fire and I am not God and the fire is burning me up. I feel burnt out. There's no more fuel. I need something else. I am insufficient on my own especially in those moments when I'm lacking the wisdom and I don't know what to do. I'm tired and I'm weary. I'm walking through the fire and I feel like I'm being burned up or at least I'm burning out. Who's gonna be the one who helps me then? Who's gonna show up for me? Is the same God who showed up for Moses going to show up for me? Will he be with me? Will he call the places that I walk into holy? Will his presence live and pour through me? Will he produce good things for me? See, in the book of Exodus, it's pointing to somebody. Moses is called to deliver his people from slavery under Egypt's oppression. But many, many years later, there's a man named Jesus who is called to free all people from the bondage of sin and death. I mean, the things in life that really make us feel like we're wearing down, that we've really worn out. It's this really harsh reminder that we all burn out eventually. You know, sometimes it's emotionally, sometimes it's psychologically, sometimes it's spiritually. And then a harsh reality about this world is, yeah, eventually someday we just, we burn out. But then here comes Jesus and he's making all these claims about himself. In the book of John, it tells us that the light that is Jesus shines into the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish him. And that's odd because every single light that we've ever seen or ever known eventually burns out. Every light in this room will eventually burn out. Sometimes we think about darkness, we're like, well, where the light shines, it always wins. But eventually every single light that has ever existed on this planet, in this universe, burns out. Eventually the darkness always wins. And Jesus is telling us, I'm different. I'm not burning out. Who's he claiming to be? What's he promising to do? When Jesus was walking through the furnace of his life, when he's walking through the trial and there must be something that's motivating him to go through it, when he's on a literal trial for his life and those who have the power to execute him are asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's gonna deliver? Are you the one who's gonna save stuck people? Are you the son of the blessed one? Are you who people are saying you are? In Jesus' response, 
I am. He uses the exact same phrase that the burning bush said to Moses. The same God that was present in that wilderness for Moses is present on trial before the world. And he says, I am. What's he saying? I will voluntarily walk into this fire, into this furnace, and I will let you burn me up, but you better know I'm not going anywhere. I don't need your permission to live. I don't need your permission to save. I don't need your permission to pick stuck people up and give them life again. He says, I am. I'm the one who is there with Moses. I'm the one who is there to speak your life into existence. I'm not going anywhere. And so you're not going anywhere. He walks into the furnace and the one who is self-sustaining, the one who doesn't need any fuel, allows the entire universe to burn him to use him as fuel, but his fuel is eternal. His fuel is a seed and it gives life everlasting and it keeps on producing more because Jesus is the one who am. I am, he says. He's done the work. So here's the last thing that you can know when you're feeling stuck. Stop and remember this. Jesus already set you free. You're not stuck. One of the biggest lies that the enemy can tell us is you're still stuck. You're not going anywhere. You're, you're, you're just stuck. Away with those lies. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead and they can't kill him again. He already set you free. Stop. Remember, God has trusted you. God is always with you. God is able and this God who showed up in real life, Jesus said, I am and I'm never going anywhere. What I have said is true and always will be true. And he says, you're free. You don't have to be stuck. You're free.